We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. I want you to open your Bibles to James 1 today and verse number 13. I used this text in the telecast this morning. I'd like to use it again in the morning preaching hour. In James 1:13, a familiar text, and yet a very important text of Scripture. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, your own lust is that agent of temptation that you need to recognize. Don't indict God. Don't accuse God. Uh, Your own lust is that agent. And then second, when you become enticed, that's the devil and the things of the world. They are the agent of temptation. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth God any man. So let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, and that's the origin of sin, when lust hath conceived. Now, you have that. You were born with that. We're totally depraved creatures. There's none good, no, not one. For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity. So when lust hath conceived, and that's your own responsibility, that's your own doings. Don't accuse God of that. But when lust conceives, it bringeth forth sin. Sin is the child of lust. Sin is the result of lust. Sin is the, is the newborn of lust. And that lust is you and your nature totally depraved and in need of the redeeming grace of God. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. But that's not the end. That's tragic, and that's a a step in the wrong direction. And this is a step downward toward hell when sin is brought forth. But sin, when it is finished, and here's the end result. Here's hell. Here's eternal death. Here's the second death. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It all started in your own lust. Lust conceived and sin was born. Sin grew and multiplied and amplified itself until eventually it brings the sinner down to hell and the second death. So when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In the end, it bringeth forth death. Now, I want to speak to you, using this only as a text of Scripture today, on this subject. Why and how do people get involved in sin? Why do people get into the sin business, into the sin habit, and commence to commit sin? Why and how do people get into sin? Now, I think there's some things that I can point out to you about the answer to this question, and it is a question, why do people get in sin, get into sin? some things that I think are important that I want to point out to you today. And I pray that God will use them as a word of caution and warning to each one of us in the building, pastor included, 
because I am a man subject to the same passion of any person within this building. Elijah likewise had the same passions of all of us in the building. And we're all alike. We all came from the same first man and first woman, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We all inherited in the fall of Adam our depraved nature. Now, the total depravity of the, of the natural man is a Bible doctrine nobody could deny. I know the psychiatrist would question that, and the sociologist would deny that. The worldly wise, the Gnostics we studied about in our Sunday school lesson today, they would, they would deny that. They'd say, there is no such thing as sin. They would say, all people are good. I heard one time a young man in a college class say that I believe that there is a divine spark in everybody. And I thought myself, that, uh, that's just not so, not a, a verse in the Bible to substantiate that. Now there is more than a divine spark in we that are born again. But to say that there's a little bit of God in everybody, enough of God in everybody that eventually everybody will go to heaven is unscriptural as it can possibly be. We're all totally depraved and without God and without hope. And that's why you have the lust problem that you are affronted with. What one of us in the building doesn't have that problem? I know we beat ourselves into subjection and we crucify ourselves daily. But the fact remains that all of us alike have a lust problem. Now, it's one thing to lust. It's another thing for that lust to conceive and bring forth sin. And then it's yet another thing for that sin to become full grown to the point that it brings forth death. The progressiveness of sin from lust to death. And lust originates within your own body and in your own person. You can't blame God for it. You don't blame the first Adam and the sec uh, first Eve for it. You don't blame your mother and dad for it. And you're foolish to blame society for it. Somebody, our sociologists nowadays blame all the ills and the troubles that people have on society. I got sick when the President Kennedy was assassinated at the commentators on the radio talking about our sick society. I got sick of hearing it and how they blamed everybody. They said, everybody in America is responsible for the assassination of the president. I don't believe that. I think every man has to deal with the sin problem individually. It's not a society problem. It's not an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. It's not an environment problem. Some of the most godly people I've ever lit, known have lived in dire poverty. Some of the most sainted people I've ever known have been grossly uneducated. I say to you that the problem we face is not a social problem or an educational problem or an environment problem, but it's a lust problem. And every man is played with this business of personal lust. Now, it's my business and yours as a born-again man to war against the lust of my body. When I'm enticed, I'm to resist that. Flee youthful lust. Avoid fornication, I'm exhorted in the Bible. When I'm enticed, I'm to call upon the Lord. I'm to avoid the thing that would entice me or draw me away from the Lord. That's the business of the devil to entice every one of us. And there is an affinity between the enticement of the devil and the lust of your body. 
And unless you war against that lust and war against that enticement, you're going to become entangled as sure as your name is what it is. If you drift, you're going to become entangled. If you lay down the arms of warfare, you're going to become entangled. If you refuse to resist the devil and resist evil, you're going to become ensnared just as surely as you lay down the arms of warfare. You and I that are saved by the grace of God are in an Armageddon. And there is no peace treaty. There is no discharge from this army. From the moment you're born of God's spirit until you die and meet the Lord in death, you're going to have to war against the lust of your body. And there's no way to avoid it. I know that there's some naive people and unscriptural people in our day who talk about having attained a state of sinlessness. And they say, I've, I've had the second work of grace. And inbred sin has been rooted out. And therefore, I now live sinlessly perfect. I don't accept that. And a man that will give that testimony to you is given an unscriptural reality and holding up an unscriptural hope that will disturb and upset people instead of anchor people and sober people and help people. The idea of sinless perfection is not taught in the Bible. You have that lust. Though you're saved in God's grace, you still have that body. And that body of yours is depraved. That, that flesh of yours is yet to be redeemed. Now the day shall come when it shall be redeemed. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the redemption of our bodies. We're told clearly in Ephesians 4.30. But until that happens, you've got the warfare. You may as well reckon with it. And if you don't reckon with it, you're going to become defeated by it. Now, why is it that some people, knowing the wiles of the devil, knowing the progressiveness of sin, knowing the end of sin, death, why is it and how is it that people who know what sin does become involved with it and get involved in it? Now, that's what I want to talk about for a moment today. It seems to me that with our eyes open, being enlightened by the Word of God, and being instructed by years and by experience, that by this time we ought to set out to war against that lust and war against that enticement of the devil like we've never warred against it before since we've been saved. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. You find some people that get saved and then they don't war and don't fight the good fight of faith. And the first thing you know, the devil's got a loop around them. And then he puts another cord about them. And then he puts another cord about them. And after a while they are ensnared and entangled by the cords of enticement and by the cords of sin until your testimony is marred, your joy is robbed, and you're not what you ought to be. And then the poor old sinner that has no will on the inside to be godly and to be holy, why he's so captivated by the cords of iniquity and the cords of sin, and he's so drawn by those cords until he becomes bind up and hopelessly ensnared and entrapped by sin until he drops into the pit without God and without hope. Now you and I that are saved are not going to hell. We're not going to lose our salvation. But you can lose the joy of your salvation. And you can lose your testimony. You can lose your influence. 
And you can lose your witness, and God forbid that we do. God help us, lest we become ensnared by enticement and by sin. Why do people get into sin? Number one, some people get into sin presumptuously. And they, they deliberately go into sin in order to demonstrate their self-will, their great determination. I know how to handle it. I, how many people you've known of or heard of that started drinking and they said to themselves, I can drink it and I cannot drink it. I can say no, I can say yes. I can participate or I can refuse to participate. I don't have to drink. And they presumptuously, knowing that the Bible is clear that in the end it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The Bible says that. Woe to the man that puts the bottle to the lip of his brother. Knowing what the Bible says, wine is a mocha, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, knowing that's in the Bible. Yet presumptuously, they say, I can handle it. And not only with the drink habit, the same thing is so with the lust habit. The same thing is so with many other sins that I might mention. Some self-will people who say, I'm of strong character. I am of strong will. I can go so far that I can call a halt and stop. Whatever I might be engaged in, I can say no or I can say yes. You are a presumptuous fool. You can't do that. And before you know it, unless you become wise to the devices of the devil, the devil has so many cords of iniquity ensnared about you until you find out that you haven't got that presumptuous will that you boasted that you've had. You take one stick of wood, you can break it without any difficulty. You can add a second, you'll have no difficulty breaking them both. You can add a third, and you can break them without much difficulty. You add a fourth, you might find some difficulty, but yet you can break them. You add a fifth, you might have to wrestle with it. You add a six, and you'll not be able to break it. You add seven, and you can't move it. You're ensnared, you're entrapped. And the devil knows how far to lead you to get you so bound up with sin, whatever it may be, whether it's lust or whether it's drink. One time many people down through the years stole something small. And they said, well, nobody will ever know it. I need this. Somebody might have stolen a pair of pliers. I remember when uh, Brother Oscar Turner was alive. Brother Oscar said to me one day, uh, Brother Oscar used to uh, handle a lot of the salvage material at the air base when the air base was in operation in our city. Uh, they had a lot of salvage material and Brother Turner would buy it and then reset it. And he did a lot of that kind of work. Uh, honest work, good work, Brother Turner was engaged in. When the base closed up, of course, all that was gone. But I remember Brother Turner told me one time, he said, Preacher, you'd be surprised how much goods, how many uh, pieces of tool and machinery is carried away from the air base, stolen by soldiers and by civil workers at the air base. Uh, I wonder how many persons have seen a pair of pliers on somebody's bench. And he said, now, uh, I could use that at my house. And this is an insignificant thing. And he picks it up, puts it in his pocket, and he carries it home. And he's stolen the first thing. He's got the first stick on, in the bundle. And he says, I can handle that. 
And he goes on a few weeks and he sees something else. And he says, I could use that. And he steals it. He's got the second bundle. The second stick in the bundle. And he moves on a few months and he sees something of greater value. He says, I can use that. I can sell that and turn it into money. And he steals that. And he's got three sticks in the bundle. And he keeps it up until after a while, he becomes a kleptomaniac. He can't keep his hand off anything that belongs to somebody else. He becomes the worst kind of a thief. Stealing things that he has no use for. Stealing things of no value. Just stealing for the sake of stealing. I was in a, a supermarket the other day. And I don't usually go. It's not a grocery store. It's one of these uh, uh, variety supermarkets. Uh, Superstores. I don't know whether it was Grant's or Kmart. Uh, it's in another city. I was going to buy me a marker. Uh, a pin marker like this one I carry in my pocket. And I thought as I walked through that store. Oh the thieves. How they can make a, a heyday in a place like this. And I read an article the other day of how many billions of dollars of merchandise are stolen out of these supermarkets. By thieves that go through there and uh, pick up a pencil like this one. Or pick up a candy bar or pick up some other insignificant thing and put it in their pockets. Or sometimes even get something of greater value than that and put it in a bag and carry it out throughout America. They tell me. I read articles that say millions, millions is stolen every year. And you and I that pay our bills have to pay for that. The profits are jacked up so we can pay for that. You see, the company has to stay in business. But you can imagine how many thieves go in places like that. They have the round mirrors on the wall. And uh, the manager can look at that mirror, and the round mirror projects the uh, whole store before his eyes on that mirror. And they put those there to watch people with. They have televisions. I've been in stores where they have televisions, closed-circuit TV. And that closed-circuit TV is connected with the manager's office. And he can sit at his desk and look up and down every aisle in that store and watch people from his desk. Why do companies have to do that? People steal. And they presumptuously say, well, this is not much. I can steal it or I can let it alone. I'm not really a thief. I'll never go to jail. And they go on in that kind of life until after a while they steal something and they go to jail for it, you see. Some people get into sin presumptuously. Then the second reason why some people get into sin is because of carelessness. Pure carelessness. They're not on their guard. Now, if I'm stricken at the number of times in the New Testament where I'm warned to flee youthful lust. Where I'm warned to avoid fornicators. Right. I'm, a, I'm told in the Bible to avoid a fornicator. Here comes a fornicator down the road. That's a vile, lustful, immoral creature. A fornicator. Here he comes down the road. I'm not to hail him and say, come over and drink a cup of coffee with me. No, sirree, brother. I'm to let him go. I'm to avoid him. That's what the Bible says. And you better know what the Bible says. You're doing a dangerous thing to sit down with a fornicator. And you're doing an unscriptural thing, a disobedient thing, to sit down with a fornicator. You're doing a disobedient thing to toy with sin, play with sin. Now in our day, uh, we say, well, we can uh, handle it. But the first thing you know, it handles you carelessly, carelessly. 
men get involved in sin. By failing to watch, by failing to heed the simple, positive commands of the Holy Scriptures. You toy with sin, and after a while it'll sting you and bite you and destroy you and send you to hell if you're not a saved man. And if you're a saved man, it'll rob you of your testimony and your power and your joy if you trifle with it for long. Carelessly, people get involved in sin. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, the Bible says. Wise we're to be. Uh, Jesus said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Don't you think he has that in mind with that kind of a warning and an exhortation? Watch and pray. If every young person in this building would set that up as a motto, a standard, watch and pray, you'd never fall into temptation. If I would set that up as a standard and a norm in my life, I'd never fall into a sin. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And the best way in the world to avoid falling to some enticement of the devil is to keep your eyes open and watch and pray. You get careless around the devil, and the first thing you know, he throws a loop of sin around you, and he'll pull you closer to him. You keep on becoming careless, and he'll toss another loop around you, and the first thing you know, he's got you bound up. And your testimony is destroyed. Your joy is gone. You can't triumph with sin and toy with sin without being affected by it to save your life. Why do people get into sin? Sometimes presumptuously, other times carelessly, and then number three, sometimes collectively, people get involved in sin. What do you mean, preacher? Follow the crowd. Don't be a square. Don't be an oddball. Everybody else is doing it collectively. How many young people started smoking that way? How many young people started stealing that way? How many young people started wearing uh, this mod clothing that way? How many young people let their hair grow long because of that? They haven't got enough grace to dare to be a Daniel. One thing for sure, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not sin collectively. If any four young men ever had an opportunity to fall in sin because everybody else was engaged in it, these four boys had that opportunity. But old Daniel said, I purpose in my heart that I'm not going to defile myself. And I'm a long way from home, and I'm a captive of the Babylonian people, but I'm going to live for God in spite of everything. And he did. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived with him for the Lord. But you get a bunch of young people together and get a rotten egg in the crowd, get a rebel in the crowd, get a, a fornicator in the crowd, get a thief in the crowd, get a dope pusher in the crowd. The reason you got the problem in dope with dope these days is because of collective sin. Uh, the average boy would never get involved in dope if left alone. The average young girl, young girl would never get involved in dope if left alone. But uh, collectively, somebody else does it. My pal does it. My classmate does it. My neighbor does it. And don't be an oddball. Don't be a square. Go ahead. Everybody else is smoking marijuana. Go ahead and smoke it. And collectively, sometimes people get involved in sin because of that. That's tragic, isn't it? 
Same way with drink. The average person would never become a beer drinker or wine taster. Never, ordinarily, would never get involved in that if left alone. But you go to some social functions and they bring out the beer cans or they bring out the wine glasses and you're the only person there that turns your glass upside down. And invariably, somebody will look at you and say, you're not drinking tonight? You're not drinking tonight? Oh, yes, you, 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 uh, you, you go to Tabernacle. You're not drinking tonight. Now, the best thing you can do is to leave that place in a hurry. I would not, I would not attend any kind of function. I don't care what it is, social, educational. I would not attend any kind of function where wine or cocktails or beer is served. Now, that's the reason I make the most of it. I don't care what, under what circumstances, I would not attend, not knowingly. And if they got me there uh, 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 without knowing it, I think I'd be tempted if I could possibly do it, I'd leave. I'd get up and walk out. I certainly wouldn't go with my eyes open, and I wouldn't recommend you go. Best way in the world to get fouled up is to start toying with things like that collectively. There's not many people that can take the pressure of criticism. Not many young people that can take the pressure of criticism. The truth is not many preachers can take the pressure of criticism. I don't enjoy being called a, a fanatic. I don't enjoy being called a rabble rouser, and I've been called that. I don't enjoy being called an oddball in our city religiously. I can't say that I enjoy that. But if I'm going to have to become a regular guy by compromising with the liberals and the modernists, and if I'm going to have to participate in social functions that are questionable in order to become popular, then I'll remain unpopular in Greenville. Now, if that's treason, you make the most of it, but that's where I stand. And I think you ought to stand there too. Collectively, sometimes people fall into sin. Thank God for a young man that will say, I'm going to be a Daniel. If you've got good sense in your head, you'll be a Daniel. If you're not going to get saved, you'll be a Daniel. When it comes to drink, no intelligent person will start drinking. God didn't make you with the taste for it. You're born with the taste for water, and you're born with the taste for milk. Why in the world would you cultivate a taste of something that's repulsive? Anybody with good intelligence would not drink beer when you had to hold your nose to drink it or learn to drink it or drink whiskey when you had to hold your nose to learn to drink it. God have mercy. You wasn't born with that appetite or that taste for the wicked substance. Why get involved in it? Why? Oh, I know everybody's doing it. You go to their own crowds. You go to their own parties. You go to the school banquet or you go to the class meeting. And they advertise the class of 1951 or 52 is going to have a, a, a homecoming. And somebody invariably will have liquor in their pockets. And you'll, you'll be classified as being strange if you don't indulge. But if I found out they were going to have a, a class reunion and they were going to serve any kind of strong drink, I wouldn't go to begin with. And if I did go, I'd leave when they brought out the bottles. Amen, amen, amen. How long are you going to 
going to be tossed and torn between two opinions. If God be God, serve God. You don't have to mess around and be like the world and tell dirty jokes like the world and cuss like the world and smell like the world and wear your hair like the world and dance like the world and, and cuss like the world and drink like the world. You don't have to do that. You can live for God. God give us men and women and boys and girls at Tabernacle that'll dare to be different to God's glory. Amen. Amen. We need to be different to God's glory. We must be. And more than that, we are if we're born again. Sometimes people get into sin collectively. Then the before. Sometimes people drift into sin out of curiosity, curiously. Curiously, they get involved in different kinds of sin. I wonder how many boys and girls have started out on the marijuana smoking habit out of curiosity or the drinking habit. Somebody says, well, if you'll just uh, drink a glass or two of wine, your head will be light and, and you'll have a good time and your heart will be filled up with laughter. And you say to yourself, well, I, I think I'll try that curiosity. Curiously, you say, well, give me a glance and I'll try it. And you try it out of curiosity and wind up ensnared and entrapped by the wine habit. God have mercy. Now, I don't see why you have to try something the, the Bible has already described as wicked and deceptive. When the Bible says clearly that wine is deceiving and strong drink is raging, why can't you believe that? Why would you have to try it? I, I wouldn't recommend you try it. Be the, the wise saying would be just to believe what the Bible says. Somebody's tried it before you came along. And divinely inspired of God, God wrote down in the Bible that wine is raging, uh, wine is a deceiver and strong drink is raging. Why don't you accept that? Save yourself a lot of heartache, wouldn't it? If you just believe that, you see. Uh, but you say, well, I, I'm curious. I want to see what it does. And the first thing you know, you're hooked. I'm told, I don't know how true it is. I've never had any dealing with dope, of course. God have mercy upon people that get involved in dope. That must be an awful thing. And my heart goes out in pity to people, young people or adult people that get involved in the dope habit. But I'm told that uh, once you get uh, on, on dope, hardline dope, you don't have to take but one or two experiences of that and you're hooked. I mean, you don't, you don't get hooked after five or six years on heroin or some other kind of hard dope. Just one or two experiences and you've got the habit. I'm told it's that binding and it's that instant in its binding. Isn't it awful that young people would get on something that will bind them up and destroy their health and carry them to a premature grave so quickly, so quickly. Wonder how many young people have died in Greenville County in the last 10 years as a result of dope. And how many others have one foot in the grave though they haven't even reached middle life because of the dope habit. And they started all of it out of curiosity. I'm curious. And so curiously, they participate. I want to see what's going to happen. Now, you better believe the testimonies of people who've been that route. Yeah. 
And you better believe what the Bible says about it. And let that thing alone and stand apart from it and flee from it as hard as you can. That's the thing of wisdom. Believe what the Bible says. Then again, some people get involved in sin as a Pharisee. And pharisaically, they get involved in the sin business. And they say, well, uh, God's a great God, and he is. And God's a gracious God, and he is. And God is a forgiving God, and he is. So I'll go ahead and sin that the grace of God might abound. And if I'll ask him, he'll forgive me because he's a great and a gracious and forgiving God. Well, God is all of that, I insist. But it's a mighty poor excuse for a man to sin that grace may abound. And by the way, Paul settled that one to us, didn't he? He said, shall I sin that grace may abound? Now that's a question. And he answered his own question. He said, God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's no justifiable reason for any man in the world to commit sin that the grace of God might abound. And if you commit sin just to experience forgiveness, you're a sorry spectacle as a believer. I, mean, I don't know whether you're a believer or not. You may not be. But if you are a born-again believer, you're a poor example if you sin that grace may abound. God forbid we do that. That's assuming the attitude of a Pharisee. I'm all right. I'm all right. Therefore, I'll sin. I'm all right. Sometimes people accuse we Baptists uh, believe in that because we preach eternal life. Well, actually, we do believe in eternal life. But I don't preach that men ought to sin that grace may abound. If I thought there was one preacher in Greenville living a cleaner and a more separated life than I am, I'd be ashamed of myself. And I'd get on my knees and ask God to help me. And if I thought there was one church in Greenville that has a cleaner congregation than we have at Tabernacle, I'd be ashamed to admit it. I don't believe you'll find a more clean, a more dedicated, a more separated congregation of people of any denomination in Greenville than you'll find at Tabernacle Baptist Church. And I don't think you'll find a preacher that preaches down the line against sin and wildness anymore than the pastor Tabernacle does. And I believe in that kind of life. I believe a man ought to live the Christian life. And that's what I'm trying to preach to you now. And God forbid we'd be a Pharisee and say, well, I'm saved everlastingly. And if I commit sin, it'll be all right. I'm going to help me anyway. God have mercy. That's a poor excuse. No, I want to please God and walk holy and circumspect and hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to sin. God, have mercy upon us. I don't want to sin. I want to please God and honor God and walk holy, clean, dedicated, separated from the things of the world. And I do by God's grace. And you do by God's grace. We're not as the Pharisees sinning that grace may abound. Then... I'd remind you also that sometimes people get into sin secretly. And I guess this is one of the uh, most prevalently used avenues that, by which people tread the sin path secretly. They say, well, nobody will ever know it. My wife shall never know it. My husband shall never know it. My children will never know it. My pastor will never discover it. 
My neighbors will never know it. And after all, I, I can handle myself and control myself, and I'll not go too far. I'll commit a little sin. I'll get tied up in something that's uh, unholy. I'll get yoked up with somebody that's unholy, and I'll let it be secret. It'll be secret. But has it ever occurred to you that God says, be sure your sin will find you out? That's in the Bible, book of Numbers, by the way, chapter 12 and verse 30. Be sure your sins will find you out. Uh, you can't do sin secretly. You may commit a few sins secretly, but before you know it, somebody's going to be shouting that from the housetop. Your sin will find you out, and there's no way in the world to avoid that because the Bible pronounces it as a fact. How many people have drifted out into sin through this avenue? Secretly, secretly. This is something between me and somebody else. This is something that I've done by myself. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Oh, God help us to see the folly of secret sin. If I regard iniquity, secret iniquity in my heart, not outwardly, nobody knows, but in my heart, God cannot bless me. God cannot bless you. Secret sin ought to be judged, lest it be shouted from the housetop. And to pretend, persist in secret sin is to reap the inevitable exposure. It's bound to come. It's only down the road just a bit. It's bound to come. Be sure your sin will find you out. Surely, I'm not preaching to anyone in the building tonight or today with secret sin in your life. And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I want to be real at that point. Surely there's nobody in the church today with secret sin. Surely there's no deacon in the church with secret sin. Surely there's no singer with secret sin. Surely there's no usher. Surely no member under the sound of my voice with secret sin. If there be one, God rebuke you. And God grant you grace to repent before your sins find you out. And is shouted from the housetop. Now if there's secret sin in your life, you ought to confess that right now to God. I'm not saying you ought to get up and tell the congregation. I think secret sins committed by yourself ought to be, committed, ought to be confessed to God. When you sin against people, restitution ought to be made. When you steal... You ought to carry the stolen object back. When you don't pay your bills, you ought to pay them up. That's sin against people. That's open sin. It ought to be dealt with openly. But secret sin ought to be dealt with secretly. And if there's secret sin in your life today, whatever it might be, judge it. Judge it now. And by confession, remove it from your life. But last but not least, Sometimes folk get into sin willfully. And this is the saddest of them all. Willfully and deliberately, sometimes men get involved in sin. With their eyes open, knowing exactly what's going to happen. Knowing exactly what the Bible is pronounced in the way of penalty. Knowing clearly what the law requires as to, way, as to the fact of transgression. And yet willfully... You get involved in sin with your eyes open, 
with the word of God thundering down to you, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And yet deliberately, willfully, you transgress and do wrong. Now that's tragic. Now I don't think a born again child of God will do that often without soon the chastened hand of God fall upon him heavy and sorely. And if you're not saved and willfully and deliberately going in sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. And be sure your sin will find you out. Now here are seven ways that I mentioned by which sometimes people get involved in sin. A word to wise people is sufficient. The gospel to intelligent people, to believe in people is sufficient. My text is all I need to remind you that are saved of. And you'll do what's right if you're saved. And if you're in this building and unsaved, I warn you in Jesus' name, sin when it's finished brings forth death. Flee to the rock of ages and become sheltered and refuge in Jesus the Savior. May we bow our heads in prayer. With heads bowed, everybody standing to you. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.